Well, happy Mother's Day, everybody. And uh, if you're getting texts and emails and telephone calls of all your, your children or grandchildren, I trust you just have a wonderful, wonderful day today. And I'm just so excited to present to you what is coming up in Ephesians chapter 2 today. And I trust it's going to be such a great blessing for you all. All right. So uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 2. So have your Bibles ready and open there. We'll be there for uh, the next few moments. Uh, so and while you're getting your Bibles ready, I just want to sort of get you stitched up again. This Ephesians chapter 2 is stitched to other uh, words and paragraphs and where are we in Ephesians 2? Well, we're looking at one sentence. One sentence, verses 1 to 10. And it's expressing one glorious thought. Now, we're trying, we're, we've cut it up into pieces and we're try, I'm trying to hold it all together. But don't forget, it's one sentence, one glorious thought. And uh, so let's read together from verse 1 of chapter 2. As for you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, th this sentence is still very much connected to the previous sentence in chapter 1, where Paul was praying that we would know God better, remember, uh, and that we are to pray that we would have greater hope, right? We would have greater hope by asking God to reveal to us by looking at his promises and his character the hope we have in our calling and we are to pray that we would know the powerfully powerful power of God that's what we're praying and what we are seeing reading now is the extent and scope of God's power in salvation in our lives right so this is again this is just so much more to our testimony than to say, I believed. There is so much more to those two words. And we're going to get the a full measure and depth of what our salvation means to us and the scope of God's power. Remember, God's power put Christ above all rebel powers. We saw this last week. We saw God's power put everything under His feet and God's power created a new body with Christ as the head all right and and where is this all going by God's power Christ is going to make everything in himself the fullness of Christ will be on every square meter of this earth and universe 
astounding. So that was last week's message, the power of God in rebel territory. Now today I would have us to see the grace of God in rebel territory. Now we saw in earlier parts of chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is king, king over all things and no one else is. One day his kingdom, his reign will fill everything and he will have complete authority. But presently there are territories still in rebellion. And last week we saw the head of this rebellion. Hmm? That's the prince of the air, the devil. So although Jesus Christ could exert his might and rule, it's in his wisdom, his mercies and grace not to and instead use the body to facilitate an amnesty period where he freely pardons rebels through his gospel. Only the gospel is adequate payment for the offenses before the day of judgment. And so today we're looking at the grace of God in rebel territory. Again, who is he talking to? He's talking to the you. Who are the you? That's the believers in Ephesus. Who had received what? Well, they've received a mountain of grace and every spiritual blessing in Christ, which chapter 1 elaborated, they have been saved. Indeed, they have been saved by receiving the truth, right? And by believing, right? Remember that. But in 2, it, it reminds them, look, you weren't always in this condition. Your condition before Christ was desperate. You once were dead, all right? You were once described with very bad character. In fact, we were violent aggressors against God. Violent, passive aggressors against God. Once dead, but now alive. Once dead. I mean, spiritually, we were like zombies walking to whatever the world did and wherever the world influenced. We were restless and exhausted, chasing the unsatisfying passions of our flesh and mind. One commentator put it, we were terminally entangled in the entrapments of the world, the devil, the flesh, and our mind. And we were suffering, weren't we? We were suffering under the age of the world, the devil, the flesh, the mind, the disobedience, the wrath of God. There was nothing commendable to God about us. And to make it worse, if it couldn't get any worse, right, we were so dead, unable to change, nor willing to change, and we were in a very unsafe place before God. Wrath, that's, that's where we were located. But, and here we go, but God, the good news, the good news is God's character. But God, all right? Yes, that was our character. But here's the good news. There was a very opposite character all the while. And at the same time of our bad character, there was a good character, a good unchangeable character. We couldn't change it if we wanted to change ourselves. And God couldn't change his gracious character either. And we're going to see very clearly, very clearly, that God doesn't act based on our character. Rather, He acts on the basis of His character, His nature. His powerful grace to do what was necessary to save us. It was all in accordance to His character. And that is the case 
in the passage we need that we are reading this morning, and we need to pray and ask God to help us see Him, shall we? God Almighty, we ask that you would indeed reveal yourself to us, please. And as we look at you, would you renew the hope in our calling? Would you, Lord God, give us a fresh revelation of the power of God that is directed and attached to us who believe? Help us to look away from ourselves, not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in you. Amen. All right, here we go from verse 4 now. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Okay, there is a description in my first point here. There's a description of the grace of God. What is the grace of God? Okay, so in, let's just back up. In contrast to what we were, right? In contrast to what we were, Look at what God is. He is rich in mercy. Mercy is compassion. It's pity. God's mercy, it, 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 it saw the consequences on us and in us. You know, the, the guilt within, the wrath upon. And God's mercy did what? Acts compassionately. We receive the pity from God. So mercy gives to us what we don't deserve. What do we deserve? Wrath. And this is astonishing. God comes to us in rebel territory. We're committed to this age, submitted to the devil, descendants of disobedience. And our King Jesus does what? We, we know what Old, King, Old Testament kings did in rebel territories. Huh? What did Old Testament kings do in rebel territories? They just laid siege to the town. Dry it up, cut off its water, cut off its resources and supplies, and then when it was weak and vulnerable, take it over. Lay siege to it. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, our King Jesus sends sunshine, he sends rain, he sends provisions, graces, blessings. Instead of giving us what we, you know, an immediate eternity under his wrath in hell, he gave us Good things to enjoy day after day after day. We didn't deserve we, we, we didn't deserve to live one hour. And on top of that, living day after day in the common graces of God, what did he do? He sent, he sent in our in our proximity, he sent his servants who were equipped with the gospel. And they lived among us and they loved us and they spoke God's pardon that was offered to us through the, through the gospel on the basis of faith. That's mercy. Giving us the best when we deserved it the, worst, the least. No doubt that God is supplied with an abundance of unstoppable, flowing mercy. Amen? Why was God rich in mercy. Well, verse 4 tells us, but because of his great love for us. Love is the cause, the motivator for the mercy, the act of mercy. God's love saw our state, 
our zombified state, the result of this and the death that awaited, the wrath that awaited, the guilt within, the wrath upon. And it moved him to have compassion upon us. The love of God. And biblical love, biblical love, friends, it's, it's nothing like our human love. It's a selfless, self-giving, self-emptying love that acts in the best interests of others. It, it, it can't act any other way. This is based on the character of God. God. God doesn't love in order to get something. God doesn't need anything. He's God. He's complete. We love to get. And we love in order to get. Right? But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all loving perfectly, all receiving love perfectly, or giving perfectly, perfect love. We're not going to escape this love theme in Ephesians. It's going to open our eyes to love. Just a few chapters ahead, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Christ, God, forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly, here it is, loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see it? Do you see it? And a bit later in chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Selfless, self-giving, self-emptying love. That's, that's love. And that's when God's love is seen, is when it is self-emptying. And we see God's love most clearly, where? At the cross. At the cross, that's right. That is great love. And God is rich in mercy that caused His great love. When was all this happening? It tells us in verse 5 made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. When we were most insensitive to God's love, God's love was most present. So we can't uh, unhook God's love from the sin backdrop because we, to see God's love, we have to see the backdrop of sin. And without it, we're not going to see God's love. The backdrop had, is our death. Our death was located in violent transgressions and sins, remember? And the point is, and here's the point, think upon this. God's love is in no way rooted in you and me. It's irrespective of me. His great love was operating even when you were dead taking violent steps against him, shaking your fists at him, living well-considered and passionate, blasphemous lives, all along, God's love remained. So God's love does not wait for you to clean up your act before he expresses it. Why? Because you can't do it. No believer ever will, and no believer ever has. Even Paul. Remember, living as a, a, a great Jew said to himself, I include myself, that I was dead before God. So at the same time when you were dead, God's love came. Christian, think you were dead towards him and at the same time he was loved towards you. Christian, 
You were dead towards him, and at the same time his love was towards you. And this, thank you, Ephesians, is the description of God compared to the description of ourselves. So, for this character, what does he do? Well, let's see what he does in verses 5 to 6. There are three things he does. Made us alive with Christ. Right? Verse 6. Raised us up with Christ. Verse 6. Seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Three actions. And again, who's doing this? Not you. It's God. He made us alive. He raised us up. He seats us with Christ. We are not at work at all. Salvation is not about what you do. It's all about what He does. And notice what it's so linked to. It's welded to. It's inseparable from what? Christ. God, when it comes to salvation, highlights Christ, His Son. And it never won't be. Our problem is not that we need to be resurrected. Our problem is not that we need to be in heaven. Our problem is, it, it, our problem is we are not with Christ. That's the problem. That's our biggest issue. We're not with Christ. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. We were living a Jesus-less life, and that is a problem. That is a problem. So on God's mind, the solution for your problem is to get you united with His Son, Christ. He's not merely interested in getting you to heaven. He's interested in getting you with Christ. This is the power of God to you. God would have you connected to this. I mean, we saw earlier in chapter 1 the great power of God. Remember? What did the power of God he raised Christ from the dead. He seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, right far above all authority, and he made a new body. Friends, here's the grace of God. God would have us participate in this as well. We are connected to this. We're involved in this. We're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what we don't deserve, and this is mercy, this is grace, and this reveals the heart of God, the mind of God, the wisdom of God, the plan of God. Here it is, verses 1 to 3, 4 to 7. And we need to realize the desperate situation we were in. Remember that, and recognize and conclude that it's God's grace alone that provides the salvation. So much more than I believed, so much more. United with Christ, united with Christ's resurrection, united with Christ seated in the heavenly realms. Right. Amen. Not done yet. Verse 7. What is, why? Why does God do this? Hmm? Why does he do it? Here, now there are layers of answers in the Bible, but here's one. Here's one. Verse 7, chapter 2. Thank you, Ephesians. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is another glorious statement. Okay, so why is he doing this? Because God is planning a divine demonstration. 
what will the grace of God demonstrate? It's going to demonstrate, what does the verse say? Incomparable riches of his grace. Now we've talked about grace already. Hmm? But what will be on display here is the incomparable riches of his grace. The idea here is incomparable, awesome, powerfully powerful. Okay, it's, it's indescribable. It's surpassing. So just imagine a vessel, all right? A vessel that God would fill his grace up with. And he had a line marked on it that stated, look, it's full. And God fills that vessel. And he doesn't stop. He keeps filling the vessel with grace. And now it's overflowing. It's a complete mess. It's just flowing over and over and over. That's what's on, dis on display here. It's exceedingly extraordinarily overflowing grace. And this is what will be demonstrated. Where? Where is this incomparable grace found? It's just interesting here. It's found, there's a location, in kindness, in the kindness of God, in His goodness, in His generosity. That's where God is going to demonstrate His overflowing grace. It's, like, it's a very specific kindness. Again, it's a kindness that is directed towards us. Okay? It's, I don't know if there's kindness directed anywhere else. All right? But this kindness is directed towards us. And it's going to be put on display. And God has it in His mind that this specific kindness He has directed towards us is soaked in Jesus Christ. It's soaked in Him. There's only one kind of kindness towards us that He is going to put on display, and it's the one He has soaked in His Son. That kindness He united us in love with his Son in life united us in His resurrection, united us with Him seated in the heavenlies. Amazing, amazing. So if I could sum it all up, what is He doing in this display? What is He doing? Here's the answer. The incomparable riches of the grace of God is what He wants to put on display. And it's simply why He saves spiritually dead Sinners, the incomparable riches of God. It's located in His kindness, soaked in Jesus Christ, and it is directed towards you. It was directed towards me. It is directed towards us. It is amazing. That grace must be on display, and that's why He saved us. So that, there's two truths here we've got to take home. We mustn't miss it. Well, number one, look, we were no superstars. Hmm? We were no superstars. None of us caught the eye of God. We were once enemies of God, dead to Him. And God had overflowing grace located in His Jesus, soaked kindness that He wanted to put on display. Before he put it on display, he took us and saved us. That is his plan. And we don't feel used at all. Because to be put on display, we first had to experience this love. I mean, I, I have never been more happy to be used by God. 
I have no problem being used <laughs> as a means to another end. It doesn't feel like I'm being used as a means to another end because I'm experiencing this love and this grace and this mercy. And here's the other truth we must get hold of. We are not the ultimate end. In God's saving work, we are not. The riches of His grace and His glory are the ultimate end. That's the end of salvation, not us. And the question is, that's also answered in this verse, is when will God demonstrate His incomparable riches of His grace? Well, it says there, in ages to come. In ages to come. The tide will turn, friends. In the ages to come. When Christ will reign completely over all the earth, the new heavens and the new earth will come. That's when this will be put on display forever and ever. So how do we bring this home today? I'd like to say that, first of all, I'm pleading with you, if you have not already, that you would come to Jesus Christ. If you have not yet come to Jesus Christ, then verses 1 to 3 describes your present condition before Him on the basis just, just on the basis of what you see, being spiritually dead before God, on the basis of seeing now that he, what He is like and, and seeing what He did on the basis of His character and not your character and seeing what is surpassing riches of His grace and what's going to happen with that in the future. Come. Turn away from what you've made of yourself. You're a spiritually dead rebel and give yourself to Christ. Stop trusting in yourself, living for yourself. Entrust yourself to Christ. Give, it, give Him yourself. God knows you. Look away from yourself, your character, and rest on God's character. Come to Christ. Find Him to be this God of this character. Amen? Then secondly, look forward to the coming age. Yeah. Are you looking forward to the coming age? Are you longing for the coming age. Are we longing for the coming age more than the coming week? More than the coming birth? More than the coming move? Or the next contract? Or the next event? More than the, the retirement around the corner? More than the next paycheck? Or the next party? Or the next game? Because here's the deal. If we lose sight of this love, if we lose sight of this power, if we lose sight of the scope of this salvation, you know what's going to happen. How will unbelievers want heaven if we don't want heaven? The surpassing, amazing grace of God is coming towards us. We, and it, we are to, to, to be displayed for all ages to see. We know it's coming. Are you excited about that? We know it's coming. It matters so much to us. 
that it's greater than anything else. They need to see us living that way. Or we are no different living for the next fix. We are no different. The only way you will long for this is if you position your heart to see the gospel over and over and over again and wean your heart off the age of this world, wean yourself off the commitment to the devil, wean yourself off the disobedience and hunger for God's riches of his grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this clarity We have no excuse. We see what we were before you. And maybe for the first time we just have a, a, or first time in a long time, we have a new appreciation of what exactly you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. How is it that all this goodness towards us is all based on your character and not us? Thank you, God. What a great God. And Lord Jesus, we come to you again. We throw ourselves again at your feet. We, we confess our sins before you, Lord. We confess all the things we haven't done. We confess all the things we have done. We confess even all the good things that we've done. None of that has got the power to save. Only you have the power to save. And we recognize that. And we receive it, Lord. And we put our faith into that plan, into that name, into that son who alone lived sufficiently, died sufficiently, and has the power to save. We come to you again, Lord. And Lord, thank you for the fresh reminder of what is waiting. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds to the greatness of this grace and how it is going to be displayed for all the ages. Lord, we can't wait. Thank you for this joint experience of being resurrected, seated. Thank you, Lord God, for the powerfully powerful power that is work in us, in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, for connecting us to Christ Jesus. And we are so looking forward to this coming age. God, wreck our hearts for what is, to, what is not yet. And Father, would it, would it, would it defend us Would it help us where we should put our energies, where we should put our time, what we should be participating in, who we should be? We should be connecting people to this coming age, Father. We know hearts off this world. We know hearts off of habits with the devil. We know hearts off of habits of disobedience. Give us a hunger for your riches and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.